are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So we're in the middle of football season, right? And uh, I was reading an article this week written by a guy whose name is Tony Dungy, who was the coach of the Indianapolis Colts in 2007 when they won the Super Bowl. And so it was interesting to hear him talk about that team. He said, uh, we were not the most talented team that I ever coached, that 2017. And he said, um, I wouldn't say that we even sustained less injuries. We had a lot of injuries that year. He said, but what was unique about the 2017 was the way that they worked together. It was overwhelming. They had a lot of differences in their personalities, and I'm sure they had some differences with each other. But he said, they were so united in thought and purpose. And when you looked into their eyes, you could see what you had. 53 men who were committed to pulling together for one purpose. And he said, that's what it took to win the Super Bowl. So... I'm not like a leadership guru by any means, but I love, I mean, love, 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 love this idea of thinking about bringing a group of people together for one common purpose. A group of people being united in thought and purpose to achieve a primary goal. So you know what the primary goal is, right? We all do. Uh, Yesterday morning, I got up and I did what I do every morning. I, I was doing my quiet time, and I opened my phone to my email, and there was an email from the church that had that day's devotional. And you can get that in the email every morning if you like to. Mike Brooks writes it. It's, uh, it's kind of brief. It's a few sentences uh, kind of commenting on the Scripture, a few verses of Scripture, and then it gives you the opportunity to pray. So some of us need a little help maybe getting started in the morning in this quiet time. And that might be really good for you. So you can go to our website and you can just say, I want to subscribe to the morning devotional. So that's what I was doing. And here's what I read. God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. I mean, think about it. God has decided that he would like for you to have this ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he he wants you and me to tell people that there is a man named Jesus who can help you become right in your relationship with the Father and can change your heart. And so we understand what our goal is. Now, here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. As you and I attempt to talk to people about Jesus, all right? As you and I attempt to talk to people about Jesus, there are forces in this world who will try to hinder our effort in doing so. As you and I attempt to be faithful witnesses of Jesus, there are forces in this world that will try to hinder our efforts to do that. So let me show you where I found that in the book of Philippians chapter 1. You want to grab a Bible and open it with me to Philippians chapter 1. I'll start reading with verse 27, okay? Philippians 1, 27. So here's what Paul says, whatever happens, verse 27, whatever happens. Now, I I know I got you kind of looking down at your Bible, but would you look back up for just a minute? This is rhetorical in a sense, because he knows what's going to happen. 
and he knows what is now happening. They are experiencing persecution. Early this morning, I read this story about a family who are from the country of Syria. And, and the mom, the wife, tells a story about ISIS coming into their village. And at first claiming that we're not going to hurt you and we're not going to harm you in any way. But they had control of the village and within days everything was changing. And they finally said, you must convert to Islam. You cannot continue to be Christian. And she said, as a family, we stood together, my three kids, my husband and I, and said, we cannot convert to Islam. We are followers of Jesus. And finally, they killed her husband. And so now she is in a refugee camp with her two daughters and her son, trying to stay strong in her faith. So here's what I want to say to you, that that there was a day when I would read about New Testament Christians being persecuted, and I kind of read over that, and it didn't really sink in very deep. But lately, when I consider what's happening in our world today, when I read these words, it changes. And I hear Paul say this, whatever happens, no matter what they do to you, no matter how bad they hurt you, that's what he's really saying here. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one. You're hearing this unity kind of talk here? I will know that you are standing firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved and that by God, for it has been granted to you... Oh my goodness, did you... Are you? Look at this. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ that not only you believe in Him, but that you also suffer for Him. It's like this is the gift that God has given you. You get to suffer for the sake of Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's been granted that you not only believe, but you're also going to get to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had. You remember they put me in jail when I was in Philippi, and you know that I still have. I'm in jail today. Then he goes to chapter 2. Therefore, if any encouragement from being united with Christ. Do you feel any encouragement because you have Christ in your life? If any comfort from His love, do you feel comfort from the fact that Jesus loves you? If any common sharing in the Spirit, are you grateful that you're sharing in the Spirit with all these other people? If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. And so now, more of this unity language. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather... In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And then he gives us an example. You ready for the example? In your relationships with one another. So think about all the people that you're in relationships with, okay? In your relationships with all these people that you have in your life, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, what did he do? He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of a cross. So he puts the whole world above himself. He doesn't look for his own interest, but he says, I will die for you. Therefore, God exalted him. He did not exalt himself. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is God's word for us today. Can I tell you a story? My friend Stan Toller told this story a few years ago about a little girl who was somewhat challenged, okay? A little girl who was somewhat challenged was led onto an airplane one day by a flight attendant seated in the first seat and she was seated by the window. And the flight attendant said, okay, you stay here and I'll be in this area the whole time. But when the plane lands, I will come and get you and I will take you off the plane and your family will be there waiting for you. And the little girl said, okay. And so then a man is seated beside her. He opens his newspaper. He speaks to her. She speaks to him. And in a moment, the little girl nudges him with her elbow. And she says, did you brush your teeth this morning? And he was taken aback at first. And he says, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I did brush my teeth this morning. To which she responded, you should brush your teeth three times a day. And he said, I agree. And so he said, I went back to reading my paper, and in a moment, her little elbow hit my arm again. And I looked at her, and she said, do you smoke? And he said, no, I don't smoke. And she said, it would be better for your health if you didn't smoke. And he said, that's what I hear. And I go back to reading my paper, and her little elbow nudges me again. And I said, yes. And she said something that I did not expect her to say. Do you love Jesus? And he said, you know what? I love Jesus with all of my heart. To which she responded, the world would be a better place if everybody loved Jesus. So he says, the plane is still boarding. Finally, a guy sits down beside me. So it's the little girl by the window. It's me in the middle. And it's the guy over here. Kind of acknowledged him when he sat down. He kind of spoke. That was about it. And I felt the little elbow again. Oh, she's got another question. You know what she said? Ask him if he brushed his teeth this morning. (laughs) He said, I don't think I should ask him. She said, ask him. He said, I don't, I don't want to ask. She said, ask him. So finally he gives in and he says, I just met this little girl a minute ago. She's very sweet. And she would like to ask you a question. She wants to know if you brushed your teeth this morning. The guy leans over and he sees the little girl and he smiles and he's very kind and he says, I did brush my teeth this morning. To which she responded, you should brush your teeth three times a day. And so in a moment, she nudges him again. Ask him if he smokes. So he said, I didn't even try to, you know, defend. I just said, she wants to know if you smoke. And he leans forward and he says, no, I don't smoke. To which she responded, it would be better for your health if you didn't smoke. Then 
He says, by the time she gets those words out of her mouth, I realize what's coming next. He said, my heart began to beat fast. And I began to think, how can I head her off? But as I was thinking through this, I feel her little elbow and she says, ask him if he loves Jesus. And he says, I, I don't think we should ask him. And so he says, I was nervous when I turned to him and said, she has a final question. She wants to know if you love Jesus. And the guy was uncomfortable. He said, well, I think I should love Jesus. It's not where I am right now in my life. But he said a door was opened. We began to talk. For the next 30 minutes or so, we talked about Jesus. And I talked to him about the difference that Jesus made in my life. And God used me that day in a very powerful way to talk to someone I didn't know about Jesus because a little girl was okay in asking somebody, do you love Jesus? So what do you feel when you hear that story? I kind of wonder if you feel what I feel. And what I feel when I hear the story is I feel like I want to be more aggressive in talking to people about Jesus. I don't know that it's the best thing in the world to walk up to a complete stranger and just ask them, do you love Jesus? But there's got to be ways that I can do better at talking to people about Jesus and being a witness of my faith than I am. I want to walk to church on Sunday morning being able to say, man, I got to really be a, a verbal witness for Christ this week. I got to engage in conversation with people about Jesus. I was able to invite someone into my life, into my home, for coffee, for lunch, to a faith conversation, to church, I was able to really talk to somebody about Jesus. That's what I feel. So why is it so hard? So here's why it's so hard. Because there are forces (laughs) that are opposing us. And as we endeavor to talk about Jesus, there are forces in this world who are trying to prevent us from doing so. Now, this is going to be really deep. If you miss this, you miss the whole sermon. So you got to get on board right now. Lean in. You ready? Here's what Paul is trying to say in what I read to you. There are two sources of those forces. Already? Some are outside the church, the community of faith. And some are inside the church, the community of faith. And there aren't any that come from anywhere else. There are forces that are outside the church. And there are forces that are inside the church. And there aren't forces anywhere else that try to keep us from sharing our faith. And so let's talk about those for a minute, okay? What Paul does in the first paragraph I read to you, beginning with verse 27 of chapter 1, is he talks about those forces that are outside the church. So this week, I began to ask people, talk to me a little bit about my sermon this coming Sunday. I'm talking about forces outside the church that try to keep us from sharing our faith. And I'm talking about forces inside the church that keep us from sharing our faith. So would you mind talking to me about what you think some of those forces are outside the church that try to prevent us from sharing our faith? And everybody said the same thing. And I will kind of paraphrase, okay? We are sons and daughters of our culture. And we have bought the lie that more is better. And we live our lives to the edge. And we are so busy 
we don't have time to focus on investing our lives in someone who doesn't know Jesus to share our faith with them. It's not that we don't want to. It's just that we are going to the very edge every day. And we all know that relationships are done in the margins of our lives, but we don't have any margin because we're living to the edge. And that's why people said to me, I don't do better at sharing my faith. For Paul, it was very different. It was more like the family I told you about in Syria a moment ago. People who are being persecuted for their faith. So I want you to hear me say this, okay? Within the first three centuries of Christianity, here's what was happening. Within the first three centuries of Christianity, here's what was happening. The authorities of the social order had crucified Jesus. They had outlawed the preaching of the gospel. They had executed James. They had imprisoned Peter and Paul. And they had confiscated property that was owned by Christians. This is the climate that Paul is writing in and the people in Philippi are living in. Within the first three centuries of Christianity, they have crucified Jesus, outlawed the preaching of the gospel, killed James, imprisoned Peter and Paul, and confiscated property that belonged to Christians. And that's why Paul writes, not only have you been given the privilege of believing in Jesus, but you have been granted the privilege of suffering with him. Do you remember when Paul goes to Philippi and when he plants the little church? Do you remember what happens to him? He's there and he's telling people about Jesus and he's baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and he's beginning to teach them. He gets thrown in jail. But before they throw him in jail, they strip him of his clothes and they beat him with rods. And he says... You're experiencing what you saw me go through. Some of you have been thrown in jail. Some of you have been stripped of your clothing and beaten. Okay? This is your privilege. You get to do this for the gospel. You saw, you've seen me go through it, and I'm still going through it. I'm in jail right now. And here's what he says to them in light of all of that. Whatever they do to you, whatever they do to you, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. You get your footing and you stand firm. And you do not let them push you around. And you do not be afraid of them. How can you not be afraid of them? And Paul says, for this reason... We have a purpose, a primary goal in our life. And our target is to tell people about Jesus. And you can do whatever you want to do to me. You can hurt me in any way you want to hurt me. But as long as I'm telling people about Jesus, I will be filled with joy. Because my goal in life is not to live comfortably and my goal is not to live easy. My goal is to talk about Jesus to people. And if I am talking to Jesus, talking to people about Jesus, then I am joyful because I am achieving what I've set out to do. It's a different way to live, isn't it? So, we want to talk about Jesus, and Paul says, but there are forces outside the community of faith that are going to oppose you. And then he says, there are also forces inside the community of faith that will oppose you. The enemy is going to do everything he can. He's going to create misunderstandings. He's going to create tension. He's going to try to get you divided. He's going to try to get you to the place that you don't care for her. He's going to try to get you to the place that you don't like him anymore. 
And he just uses everything that he can. Uh, my friend Jim showed me this last week. I thought it was kind of cute, and I think it will help us make a point. But let me show you a sentence, okay? I'll put it on the screen, and here's all the sentence says. I didn't say he was ugly. All right? But what if you emphasize words differently? For example, take the first letter, the first word rather. And what if you put the emphasis there? I didn't say he was ugly. What's that imply? Annette said he was ugly. (laughs) Emphasis on the second word. I didn't say he was ugly. It's just an emphatic statement. I didn't say it. But look at this. I didn't say he was ugly. Might have implied he was ugly, but I didn't say it. I didn't say he was ugly. Might have said his sister was ugly, but I didn't say he. Look at this. I didn't say he was ugly. He still is ugly. I didn't say he was ugly. I said he was stupid. I didn't say he was ugly. And so in the church world even, you know what I hear all the time? You should have heard what they said, Pastor. No, it's not what I meant. No, but you said, and and the enemy just uses everything. That's what happened in Philippi. When you get to chapter 4, verse 2, there's two ladies. One is named Euodia. Now there's a name for your baby girl. You've been looking for names right there. Her and another lady named Syntyche. Another possibility. Gotten into a fight. And Paul says, you've got to get these ladies to get together because they're divided. They need to be of one mind. They're fighting with each other. This is not good. And we wondered, did that division go all the way through the church? I'm on Euodia's team while I'm with Syntyche. No, I think she was wrong. I think she was wrong. And the church begins to experience division. Were there other divisions? Because Paul is calling them to something much better than division. So he's saying, in your attempt to share the gospel, there are forces that are going to oppose you. There's some in the church. There's some outside of the church. The answer to both and the defense for both is the same. Do you know what it is? Unity. It's locking arms. It's getting together. Look at these words, will you? I'll put them on the screen for you. This will be helpful to you. Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And just look at those words. This is the answer. You stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one. Look at the next, chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being, read these words with me, like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. This is the answer. This is the defense. It's unity. So i got to say this because somebody is thinking it. So what are you saying, Pastor? Check my brain at the door. I don't have my own opinion anymore. I'm not able to think. Just whatever somebody says, I say, okay, we're all together here. No. No. So I told you about my dad telling jokes. Here was another one. A lady goes into the doctor with her husband, and they do an exam. 
And so the doctor says to the husband, why don't you go on out to the waiting room? I want to talk to your wife about your situation. She'll be out in just a minute. So the doctor says to the wife, listen, your husband is not going to make it unless you really invest in him. He can't handle any stress. He can't be given any challenge or task. Life cannot be hard or difficult. You need to make it as easy as you can. If you don't wait on him hand and foot and do anything that he asks of you and take all the stress off of his life and just make his life easy and comfortable, he's not going to make it. So she goes out into the waiting room and her husband stands and says, What did that doctor say to you? She said, Honey, the doctor says you're not going to make it. So here's the deal. The exact opposite of that kind of thinking is what Paul says brings about unity. She was saying, I'm not looking out for your interest. I'm looking out for mine. And Paul says this. Let me put it on the screen again for you, okay? Here we go. Here's what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And so the way that we come together as a community of faith is not by checking our brains at the door and saying we can never disagree about anything. No, the way that we come to unity as a church is that when you know in your heart that I've got your interest above mine. Are you ready for that? And when you have my interest above yours, Can you ride that train? It's not about my own selfish ambitions or getting my way or getting what I want. It's not about me being concerned about me. It's about me being concerned about you. And once you know that I'm concerned about you, then you're saying that we can disagree on a few things, but we can be united in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and we can move forward. Do you have an example of that, maybe? Because that sounds kind of hard. And he says, yeah, I got an example. Back to the scripture. One, one last time here. Here we go. In your relationships with one another. So he's talking about how you and I are getting along and all that kind of stuff. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's a great example. You know he was the very nature of God. But he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What did he do? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He did not look out for his interest. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of a cross. He said, you know what? It's not about my interest. It's about yours. And I will go to the cross for you. What an example. So what if? What if we became like the 2007 Indianapolis Colts? Tony Dungy said, I could look in their eyes and I saw what I had. Fifty-three men pulling together, united in thought and purpose with one primary goal in mind. What if we became like that? Knowing that there are opposing forces outside the church, inside the church. And we said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to unify. 
And the way that we're going to unify is by becoming concerned about one another. And we're going to take on the mind of Jesus, who says it's not about me, but it's about you. And it's about sharing the gospel. It's about coming together to accomplish this mission. What if? What if we became this mighty force for God? Unlike we've ever been a part of in our lives. And some days I just kind of sit back and I just kind of grin because I'm watching things start to happen that I haven't seen happen before. And I'm watching people talk to me about friends they're praying for. And sometimes they introduce me to friends that they're bringing to church. And people are praying more and more about how God is going to use them and wants to use them. And let me remind you from Sunday 1 in this study of Philippians, it's not about you saying, I just got to do better. I think it's about me doing better and helping you do better. And you locking arms with one another and with me and saying, together we're going to do this. Good? That's all I have to say. I'm done. Okay? So I want us to, uh, to take a little bit of time before we go. We've got a couple of minutes here. So here's what I'm going to ask of you to stand with me. Okay? And uh, I've been sometimes more faithful to this than I have been at others. But this is one of those days where we're just going to say we're going to just very broadly open the altar. So you may say, Rick, you know, you talk about selfish ambition that's the very heart of sin, and, and this is my issue. I'm not looking out for the interests of others. I'm looking out for me. And I need God to do His sanctifying work in me. See, I think when we talk about this sermon, we think, what do you do with it? Well, you know, we know what we should be doing. We should be talking to more people about Jesus and investing in people's lives and inviting them to our lives and to coffee and to lunch and to faith conversations and to church and to know Jesus. But when there's disunity, because we're acting selfishly, that's not going to happen very well. And so I don't know if this morning it's as much about what we do as who we are. And maybe you're feeling like me in some ways, saying, God, I still need you to work in my heart. You've got to change some of the selfish nature that I live with. So if you want to come and pray about that, come and pray. And so... You may also have some body in your life that you want to pray for. So we've been talking through this series, God's bringing faces to your mind. And you see people that you're a part of their lives and they don't know Jesus. And you want to be a witness in their lives and you want to help them know Jesus. It might be kids that you're praying for or parents or brothers or sisters or friends or co-workers. Please, please come and pray for those people this morning. It could be that you're going through a difficult time and you really need God's help with a situation in your life. Well, He invites you to freely come and ask Him. So you can just come and say, Lord, you know I'm going through a hard time. You may have a desire in your heart and you believe it's appropriate to ask God to fulfill that desire. It's okay to come and pray about that. If you have physical problems, you want to be anointed, there will be pastors, one on the right and one on the left, just go straight to them and say, would you anoint me and pray for my physical healing? And they will be happy, happy to do that. 
Maybe that you just feel like, my, God is so good to me. <laughs> and you just want to come and say thanks. Or maybe this morning that you want to become a Christian. You want to be forgiven of sin. You want Jesus to change your heart. You want to be born again. And I invite you to come and pray. So we're going to sing. And just feel free for us to take a few minutes together to pray. Okay? Let's sing.
So as you go, I pray this blessing that God will give us, that he will grant us, that he will make us one in spirit. Amen. Amen. If you want to join in prayer, please feel free. If you want to be seated and wait and pray, please, please feel free. As you go, go quietly this morning, okay? You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.